This is the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 109. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie, and I'm bringing you another incredible interview today. My guest is a serial entrepreneur who's been building online businesses since 2006. He's got a wealth of knowledge that he's sharing with us about blogging, SEO, software as a service, and a whole lot more. But first, if you are new to the podcast and you don't know me yet, I want to welcome you. I am your host, Monica Louie, and I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist. I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six, seven, and eight-figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook Ads, which is my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed more than $3 million in ad spend and served thousands of students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And as you know, Facebook and Instagram ads are always changing. And so if you want to stay in the know with everything that's happening in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads, join my free email newsletter. When you join at monicalouie.com slash guide, you will get my free Facebook ad starter kit as a bonus. In today's show, I am honored to have Mr. Spencer Hawes on the show. Spencer is the founder of nichepursuits.com. And after getting a degree in business finance from BYU in 2002 and an MBA from ASU in 2007, he worked for eight years in business banking and finance at both Merrill Lynch and Wells Fargo Bank. While consulting with other small business owners as a business banker, Spencer finally had the desire to start his own business. He successfully built a portfolio of niche sites using SEO and online marketing that allowed him to quit his job in 2011. Since then, he's been involved in dozens of online business ventures, including creating and exiting Longtail Pro, you may have heard of it, running an Amazon FBA business for over three years and selling that business, founding linkwhisper.com and co-founding motioninvest.com. You can learn more about Spencer at nichepursuits.com. In today's show, Spencer shares his journey with us. We go in detail about how he built and sold for seven figures, I might add, a successful SaaS product without having any experience or connections in the software industry when he started, the mistakes he made when he launched his next software product, what he learned from both of those experiences to launch more products successfully since, what's working now in the world of blogging and SEO. He's got a wealth of knowledge about both of those topics, and a whole lot more. But before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 109. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 109. All right, here is my interview with Spencer Hawes from nichepursuits.com. Hey, Spencer, thank you so much for joining me on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. It's an honor to have you on the show. Welcome. Thank you, Monica. It is great to be on the podcast and chat a little bit more with you and, you know, chat with your audience a little bit as well. 
Yes. So I am so excited to have you on. I mean, for a number of reasons, but I would love, I mean, you have such a diverse background in this online business world. I would love to hear first how you got into all of this and how long you've been doing it. And then kind of walk us through the journey of what you've done and where you are today. Yeah. So everyone's journey is a little bit different, but you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and had tried out a number of different things that, you know, were failures, if you will, uh, early on. But as weird as it is, one of the things that first got me thinking about online business was eBay, seeing all the things that were being bought and sold there. And so my very first online venture, if you can call it that, was selling used clothes on eBay. I'd go to Goodwill and then it quickly led to uh, books. I did both books and clothes. I'd go to Goodwill and try and find things that were cheap and flip it for a profit on eBay. Right Now, that wasn't like an extremely profitable thing, but it got me thinking about businesses that can be built online primarily. And I wish it was a quick transition, but that led me eventually to kind of thinking about how do I build a website to have my own web presence and how do people actually make money, you know, after they build a website. And that was back in 2006 is when I built my very first website. At the time I was, had just graduated from a finance with a finance degree from college. And I was working in, you know, the, the financial industry. So I built a finance blog and worked on it for, you know, a year maybe and didn't see very good results. I didn't know what I was doing in terms of content creation, how to actually get traffic, but it did introduce me to the world of display advertising, affiliate marketing. And I did make my first dollar through affiliate marketing on that site. It just wasn't anything significant. I don't remember what my best month was, but I, I doubt it was more than 50 or $100, right, in, in a month. And that led me to then thinking about, okay, how do I actually get traffic? How do I rank in Google? And over a number of years, I tried building lots of different websites until eventually in maybe 2009, I sort of realized, okay, if I build websites that are on really low competition keywords, I can rank much quicker. And at the time, you could get a little boost by building websites on an exact match domain, right? A domain that had your exact keyword in the domain. And so I built out a few of these little sites and the first couple of my sites that were very niched down were on the topics of worm farms and buffalo nickels, like literally just the nickel, right? Oh, wow. And those were my first couple of really niche, small niche sites with a goal. My goal was just to make, you know, if I can make a dollar a day or $30 a month and then churn out several of these sites, maybe I can start making $1,000 a month. Well, that strategy worked really well. And some of these sites started making you know, more than $30 a month. Some were making $500 to $1,000 a month after I started doing this for about a year. I started building lots of little niche websites, all targeting very low competition keywords. And that led me in 2011 to where I was making more than my day job as a business banker, 
with my little niche websites. And I had built dozens and dozens of these just to give people an idea. It was a large number of sites. I was just cranking these out. I was outsourcing content and we can go into that. Like that's not my strategies now. I was certainly just pumping out, you know, content and building sites and it was working well. I was getting lots of traffic from Google. Like I said, I was making more money than my day job. So I quit. That was in 2011. I quit my job and I, I've really been building niche sites ever since. I, I've done a whole lot more, but that has always been sort of the, the start and kind of the, the focus. Everything else is dovetailed from that. When did you launch Niche Pursuits? Was it around that time? It was. Okay. So I launched Niche Pursuits right as I was quitting my job. That's basically why I launched nichepursuits.com is to basically say, hey, I've been building these small niche sites. They are enough to support me and my family full time. You know, I had a couple of children at the time. Now I have four. So I started a blog to document my journey of, hey, I just quit my job. Here's how I build niche sites. Here's how you can build niche sites and hopefully replicate some success as well. Awesome. So what are the most obscure niches that you've built? (laughs) (laughs) Was it the worm farm and the buffalo nickels? Uh, No, there's more maybe obscure. One that always makes me chuckle to think about was fleece ferret hammocks. I built a website dedicated to fleece ferret hammocks, which I guess is a small accessory for pet owners that have ferrets, right? They put a little hammock, ferret hammock, made out of fleece. So anyways, I built a whole website on that. And then I'm just trying to think. How did, how did you come up with that? I uh, Keyword research. That's where okay. I always started. I would just look at using keyword research tools back in the day. It was Market Samurai and then others. But basically I would just look at, I would do two things. One, what's a keyword that's getting close to a thousand searches a month? And then B is the exact match domain available, right? So I, I must've been able to get like fleeceferrethammocks.org or something like that, right? And that's how I came up with it, right? Wow. Is I just look at tools and if the domain was available and I, I would do some analysis to, to look at Google and see, is it possible to actually rank for this thing? And if it checked those boxes, I'd buy the domain and I'd have somebody write a couple articles on it. So keyword research was always critical. So did you figure this out initially just from trial and error and just kind of thinking through, as you mentioned, you know, I built a site, but then I had to figure out how to get traffic, just kind of thinking through the path to get it, to get it ranked on Google. Yeah. A lot of it was trial and error. Like I said, I built my first site in 2006 and it wasn't really until mid 2009 that I kind of finally found a strategy that worked for me. So it was a lot of trial and error. There's a lot of failed websites in there that I don't talk about. But also I do have to give credit to going way back to the warrior forum, like, and other forums going and and joining discussions with other people, just trying things out and reading what was working for them or not working for them. It was kind of at really early days of affiliate marketing. And so I, I was in those chat forums a lot, like just saying, Hey, do you think this would work or reading about what would work for somebody else? And then eventually trying it myself and seeing if it did work. Very cool. So then from 2011, you launched Niche Pursuits, you're successfully mm-hmm. had quit your day job. And then I know you've got lots more that you've worked on since. So what came next? Yeah. So right about the same time that I quit my job, it was actually before I quit my job, I had started developing Longtail Pro. 
It's a keyword research tool. Like I mentioned, keyword research was always super important. And I had a kind of particular way that I like to do my keyword research. And so I built a software tool. I hired somebody to build a software tool for me because I'm not a developer. And I was able to launch that shortly after quitting my job. It was, you know, sort of mid 2011 that I launched Longtail Pro. And that became a very significant part of my business over the coming years. So I launched it. I grew it. You know, it was very natural, of course, for me to talk about doing keyword research on niche pursuits as I was blogging and teaching other people how to create niche websites. I'd say, okay, I do keyword research and I use Longtail Pro. It's a tool that I created to make things faster, easier, et cetera. And over the years, it, it gained a lot of traction and built it for five years. And in 2016, I exited Longtail Pro and sold that company for a, a significant amount of money that we can talk about if we want. But it was, you know, a, a big milestone in my career was certainly selling uh, Longtail Pro as a business. So that's, that's, that's a huge thing. But then I've done, yeah, many, many other things along the way as well. I've been a partner in a number of different businesses. I'm currently a partner in something called Motion Invest, which is a marketplace to buy and sell niche websites. I have since also launched another software tool called Link Whisper. It's a WordPress plugin that makes building internal links much faster and easier. I mean, that's kind of the a big focus of my business right now. Um, I launched it almost two years ago, Link Whisper, and working on growing that now as well. But then, yeah, then also just built a lot of websites through the years as well. Very cool. That is such a cool story. So going back to Longtail Pro, that's where I think I first heard about you from Longtail Pro and Niche Pursuits. And so can you talk about the challenges and what did you have to, like, where did you get the idea to create this tool yourself rather than find somebody else's tool? Or because you had mentioned another tool that you were using at the time, what gave you the idea to create your own? Yeah, it really was serving my own need is what it came down to. I, I just had a particular way that I liked to do keyword research. And what that was is, so I, I was using Market Samurai and I used that tool a lot in the early days. There, there weren't a lot of other options, to be honest. And if there were, I had tried them. Market Samurai was kind of the best at the time. But the problem is it would only allow you to input one seed keyword at once. So let's say, you know, I knew I wanted to build a website on worm farms, right? So I could plug in my seed keyword of worm farms and then Market Samurai would spit out up to 800 related keywords, whatever that might be, you know, like how to start a worm farm, what do you feed your worms, you know, et cetera, things related to worm farms. But what I wanted to do is I was doing research for lots of niche websites at once. So I wanted to input, say, a dozen totally unrelated keywords, worm farms, buffalo nickels, microphones, water bottles, headsets, right? And I just wanted the tool to just spit back thousands of keywords and then I could hopefully have the ability to sort that by search volume and other criteria. That way I could do tons of research for lots of niches really, really fast. And so that was my core idea is that I just wanted to do keyword research faster for lots of niches. That was the idea for Longtail Pro. So I went to a developer and basically said, okay, see what Market Samurai is doing. I kind of want to start like that, but better. 
right? And have some of these other features. And so that was the idea that I had. And I went and I found somebody else to develop that tool, hired a programmer to build that. And it was not a smooth process. I will just say that I learned a lot hiring my very first developer. I was able to hire somebody that built an initial version and I actually launched it. But very quickly after people bought the tool, Google changed some things and the the software tool broke. And then it became very difficult to get those updated with a developer and Long story, I had to hire a, a, a new developer and build the tool a little bit better from the ground up. And so, so I learned a lot along the way, but eventually, you know, the, the business itself, Longtail Pro became uh, very successful, but that, that, that's the genesis of the idea. And that's why I built it. Very cool. So did you have any kind of background or connections in like the software space or with developers or programmers before that? Or did you have to go seek that out to figure out that process? Yeah, I had no connections at all. I mean, I, I went to school for finance, right? And I worked in right. business banking, you know, so I I knew how to help people get a loan for their business, but I, I, hadn't, I had never worked with software developers ever, like at all. So I went to, I don't even think it's around, but it was, boy, was it Elan? It was either elance.com or freelancer.com that I hired my first developer. But, you know, like Upwork, I think Upwork bought both of those companies. But yeah, I went to a, you know, an outsourced marketplace like Upwork and I just posted a job with my idea. And then I had to weed through and interview and, and just learn the ropes. I had no connections. I just learned as I went. And so what kind of, what kind of investment does that take to start a project like that? Because did you validate that other people would be interested in that as well? Or did you just consider that since that's what you were talking and and you were building your brand with niche pursuits around teaching people how to build their own niche sites that you kind of had a hunch that it would serve a purpose for others as well? Or what was your, what was your kind of vetting process there? Yeah. You know, I wish I could say that I did a better job of validating the idea in terms of getting pre-orders or other things that, you know, some people talk about now, but I really didn't. I did do a lot of research on the market in general. Just, I got a good idea that keyword research was something that a lot of people did. And I knew a lot of people were buying Market Samurai. I, I don't remember where they shared some of their numbers, but at the time Market Samurai did share like how many subscribers they had. And, and it was a lot. I don't remember what the number was, but it was many thousands. I was like, whoa, there is a huge market here, right? So I did validate that there was a market. And then being involved in the warrior forum and talking to how other people were doing keyword research, I could see, at least from the posts people were making and some of the questions I would ask that people did keyword research similar to how I did it. So I, I did that type of research, but I never did any like sort of true validation of, hey, would you actually buy this? I didn't do any surveys or anything like that. I think that's a good idea. When I built Link Whisper, I did do that. I did a ton of surveys and I talked to a lot of potential customers before I built anything. I think that would be a good idea for people to do that. And then you also asked about cost. You know, how much does it cost to actually kind of build a software tool? My first attempt, it was extremely inexpensive. I was super cheap. 
I went to, you know, freelancer.com and looked for the cheapest developer possible. Somebody, it was somebody overseas. They said they could do it and I hired them. And to their credit, they did build something that worked. But like I said, it quickly broke (laughs) within a couple of weeks. I think the initial version, I only spent like $2,000. It wasn't very much. But to do it right, I then had to hire a much more advanced, I I went and I hired a US-based developer and to get the true initial version of Longtail Pro that became the initial version, it was about $15,000. So again, depending on where you're coming from, that's either a lot of money or not very much, right? To launch a business, but that's what it took to do Longtail Pro, at least initially. Unfortunately, with software, development is never done. That may have gotten it out the door, but I probably spent six figures over the next 12 months to just continue building it, improving it. Maybe not the next 12 months, but certainly the next two years. And so software development is never done, unfortunately, and it can often take, just depending on what it is, anywhere from $1,000 to $10,000 a month to, to maintain a software tool. Sometimes you might be able to get away with outdoing any software updates for a long time. So I, I shouldn't say all software tools are going to require ongoing investments, but I think if somebody wants to go into software, in, in, into a software business, they should realize that there probably will be lots of ongoing development costs. Right. And that makes sense because I mean, when we think about the software we use in our day-to-day lives, there's always new updates coming out and things change, you know, the operating systems change and things like that. So it does make sense that there will be some maintenance to be expected. Yeah. But the the nice thing, hopefully, is that you can launch an initial version, you know, cost you 15,000 to build it. You can launch it. And hopefully within a couple of months, you have made your money back or well on your way to making your money back. And then the monthly, hopefully you've got new revenue coming in, right? That pays for all the development. So hopefully after the first sort of launch, you aren't pulling more money out of your own pocket. Your customers are paying for the updates, right? And so it hopefully becomes a profitable business at that point. So then you ended up selling it in 2016. So congratulations on that. Thank you. What led to that decision? Oh boy. So... It was a hard decision because at that point it had grown into a significant business, right? I had a few employees helping me run the company. I had many thousands of users, right? That were, you know, on a monthly subscription. And so it was a great revenue stream, but I also knew the keyword research market extremely well. And so one, I could see tons of new keyword research tools coming on the market and and competition was getting more and more fierce. And then two, a lot of our data was very reliant on Google and the data that they provided. And there were signs and sort of examples in, in the past of where Google was tightening their fist on that data. And I just, I felt like, boy, if Google were to shut off their data, we would have to really do a lot of rebuilding of this tool. And is that something that I want to do? And then, so so the risks from competition, the risks from Google. And then the third thing was just the attractiveness of a cash payout, right? Like, I can't deny that. Looking at doing the calculation going, wow, you know, I could sell it 
and be able to, you know, essentially get a few years of earnings today and not have to worry about those things. So all those factors combined led me to making the decision to, to walk away, sell the business. So how did you find a buyer for that? So I didn't list it anywhere publicly, but privately I had mentioned to a few people that I was considering selling the business. And it was actually at a conference called Rhodium Weekend in, I think it was the end of 2015. Yeah, it would have been the end of 2015. I went to a conference and I mentioned it to to several people and the word kind of spread there. And that eventually led to three, basically three private buyers they said, hey, we would be interested in taking a look, Spencer, if you really are serious about selling Longtail Pro. And so it it was just, I, I kind of went from just letting the cat out of the bag of, hey, I'm thinking about it, to all of a sudden I had three people saying, hey, if you want to sell it, we're interested, right? And that led to several discussions that eventually led to the buyer. One of those three people was the group that ended up buying Longtail Pro. So it was a private transaction and it happened fairly quick within, I want to say like three months after initially starting those discussions, I had sold the business. Wow. So do you mind sharing how much? I don't know if you shared that publicly before. No, it is. It is publicly out there. You know, I, it's funny because I, I haven't shared it like on niche pursuits, like either on my podcast or on my blog, but it's out there. There's other blog posts about it. So I'll, I'll share. It was just under 2 million. I sold it for 1.8 million. And that was in early 2016. And it really is, you know, it's a life-changing amount of money, you know, to be able to have that come into your bank account. It wasn't all at once, you know, it was about a little over 50% was all, all up front in cash. And then the rest was scheduled to be paid out over the next two years. And they actually ended up paying that off early. So within about a year, I got the rest of that money. And so an amazing experience, you know, being able to build a company for five years, have a significant exit, and then be able to have sort of that payday to then think about, okay, what do I do next? I've got a little bit of a cushion here and have the opportunity to either invest or pursue something different at that point. So then when did you start Link Whisper after that? Did that come soon after or was that a little bit later? It was a little bit later. There's a story that goes in between here that if we want to dive into, we sure. can, but I, yes. I sold, so I sold Longtail Pro in early 2016 and I didn't start Link Whisper until mid 2019. So about three and a half years later, right? So it's Link Whisper has been about two years. So maybe we'll get to that in a second, but in between, I thought, you know, I was the software king. I can do this again, right? So I I waited probably eight or nine months and I was like, I've got another idea for a software tool. I build lots of niche websites that are monetized with Amazon Associates and I build these product comparison charts, you know, that compares say five different products and has the prices and the ratings and, you know, some other stats, right? All in a beautiful chart that makes it easy for people to click and go buy on Amazon. And I thought, you know what, I could build a software tool that will make it super fast and easy to build these product comparison charts. And I just had a successful exit. So surely I can build a business that was just as big as Longtail Pro. I must be an expert at this. 
And so I built Table Labs. And so it's a company, tablelabs.com. It's it still exists. I built this tool. I spent way more money. I spent like a hundred thousand dollars getting the initial version of Table Labs built when you compare it to the 15,000 I spent on Longtail Pro, right? It's significantly more. And I launched it and it was like almost crickets. Really? Some people bought it. So I did have customers but it just did not resonate the way that I really thought it was going to. Part of it was pricing issues. You know, I wanted to charge people monthly and I eventually backed down and said, okay, it's an annual thing. And I kept lowering and lowering the price. And, you know, I I ran Table Labs from 20, eh, maybe early 2017 is I think maybe when I officially launched it. And then I just sold the business itself earlier this year. And it was way less than (laughs) even six figures, right? I I sold it for like $20,000, right? It just, it was maybe making 500 to $1,000 a month, right? And so it really was a, a disappointment, to be honest, right? I had gone from this amazing success, this company that's doing, you know, significant revenue every month, to thinking, I know what I'm doing and launching table labs. And, you know, it's pretty much crickets, you know, like I said, maybe a thousand bucks a month. And so that led me to really thinking hard about finding a real product that I felt had great fit. And that did lead me to Link Whisper, which we can talk about, of course, that well, so, uh, is so doing what much do you better. Think yeah. was the difference between Table Labs and Longtail Pro? I mean, I'm sure you've done a lot of reflecting on, mm-hmm. you know, the differences between those two experiences. So what do you think were the, were the key differences? One of the biggest things, Table Labs is a good product. Like it wasn't a flaw in the product. People like the product. It's a great product. So I I don't think there was any issues there, but there just is not that big of a market for people that are actually paying for a tool that will build product comparison charts for Amazon. Like I said, when I looked at Longtail Pro, I could see existing established competitors like Market Samurai they were doing really well. They were big companies. They were selling lots of their product. But now when I reflect and look, is there any big company or significant competitor that is doing really well selling a product comparison chart software tool? And there's not, (laughs) you know, there's, there's nobody out there. And part of that is that there's a lot of free alternatives, right? And I, have written blog posts about how to create product comparison charts for free on your own, right? There's a few WordPress plugins like Table Press that allows you to create tables for free. And you can sort of tweak that to create your Amazon product comparison chart. So when there's a really good free alternative and there's no established players doing significant revenue. That's kind of the lesson I learned is that maybe there's just not a market here, at least a big market. And so that, that that's definitely a couple of the things that when I launched Link Whisper, I, I took a good hard look at is, okay, are there some established players? And, and B, do I think people are willing to actually pay for this thing? Yeah, no, I appreciate that because that's where that's where I was trying to go with Link Whisper is I wanted to know, you know, from your success with Longtail Pro, what did you then 
apply to the launch of Link Whisper, but it sounds like you had, you know, many learning experiences that you were able to then apply to Link Whisper to help make that a success. Yeah. And you know, it's, there's never any guarantee. I mean, it's, it's starting a business is always risk, but I certainly took a lot of those things that I learned both from Longtail Pro and from Table Labs and implemented those into Link Whisper. One of those things that I did learn that I didn't really mention is Longtail Pro initially actually started as a one-time payment desktop application. You could buy it for $97 and you owned it forever. I learned a few years into that business that it's much better to have recurring revenue. And so we, we implemented a monthly subscription. And so that's one of those things that I've carried over to Link Whisper is even though it's a WordPress plugin, I wanted to make sure it had an annual subscription, at least had some sort of recurring revenue element, because that really is the only way to I shouldn't say the only way, but it's a great way to make sure you've got reliable income coming in so that you can invest in more features and hire more people to, to grow the business as well. So that's that's kind of another thing that I learned, at least from a pricing standpoint, is make sure you really have a way to have that reliable, consistent income. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent for recurring revenue, whether that's monthly with a monthly subscription or a monthly, you know, rate or something like that, or annual, you, I think it definitely helps businesses have that sustainability factor where they they make a sale once and they know that they can forecast revenue into the future because of that sale. Right. Absolutely. So with Link Whisper, is there a free version as well, or is it just the paid version? There actually is a free version and uh, it's on wordpress.org. So if people just Google Link Whisper free or Link Whisper WordPress, it's on wordpress.org. Last I checked, there's something like 7,000 free users. And it's funny because I've never advertised that at all. Like I haven't even mentioned it to my email list, the, the free version. I've never advertised that there is a free version. I just put it up on WordPress. And of course, because I'm an SEO guy, I SEO optimize the titles, right? And so if you go to wordpress.org and search for internal links or phrases related to that, Link Whisper pulls up. And so I've essentially gotten 7,000 free leads by just putting the listing up. And that's more of a testament to just how much traffic there is on wordpress.org and people searching for WordPress plugins. So I, I kind of been blown away by that, to be honest. Yeah. I have clients who have WordPress plugins and they do very well with their free version as well. Yeah. So then when somebody, when somebody installs the free version, then you're able to communicate with them after I'm not, I'm not so sure about the, like, do you get their information so that you can communicate with them and let them know about the benefits or is it just their advertisements in the plugin or how do you upsell? I guess it's the question. Yeah. Unfortunately that you don't get any of their information, but they do see whatever I put in the plugin, right? And so as they're using the plugin and the free version, I do have sort of banner ads and some of the features are only available in the the premium version, of course. And so anytime there's like a premium feature available, I make sure to have, you know, a sentence in the the plugin itself or a banner, right? And um, I also do have sort of a... Yeah, I guess it's a banner ad, you know, when you log into your WordPress dashboard that offers like a free sort of mini course, like, you know, 10 day, you know, to better internal linking or something like that. So I do try to get people onto an email list so I can then 
upsell them to the premium version. So I get some email signups through that. And then also just other people click on some of the premium features that they want and they go over and they'll, they'll buy directly that way as well. Cool. So can you explain exactly what does Link Whisper do? Why would we be interested in having that for our blog or our website? Yeah. So Link Whisper, again, was born out of my own need. It is something that I wanted. And and so I built it after, of course, doing the research to make sure there was market there. But it is an internal linking WordPress plugin. So it makes internal links much faster and easier. If anybody is involved, anybody listening is involved in SEO, they know that internal links are important, right? You kind of pass on the authority from page to page and kind of tell Google what certain pages are about, and it can help you rank better in Google. But it can be a very manual process, right? If you want to kind of build, say, 10 internal links to one particular page, you have to manually go into 10 different blog posts and build those internal links. What Link Whisper does, and so there's a few different features. One, as you're in your WordPress editor and say you're writing a new blog post, just below the editor, Link Whisper will start suggesting internal links to other articles you have on your website that are relevant. And all you have to do is check the boxes next to the three or four or 10 or however many internal links you like and click update. And Link Whisper will add those internal links in your draft to those three or four other articles automatically with the anchor text already selected. So it helps you kind of remember, oh yeah, I have content on this subject and oh yeah, that would be a good link without having to think too hard. And then sort of the other way around is if you have an existing article that maybe you want to rank higher in Google or you don't have any internal links pointing to it at all, Link Whisper will suggest internal links pointing to that one particular article. And then again, you just check the box next to the links that you want, hit update, and Link Whisper will automatically add all those links to the five or 10 different articles with the anchor text pre-selected and it just, it saves a ton of time. So that's kind of the two core functions, but there's, there really is a lot more. And a big part of it is is the reporting. So you can go in and see how many internal links all of your articles have or don't have, and really helps you make better decisions on what your internal linking structure should look like. So really, if you're doing anything related to internal links, Link Whisper kind of either does that for you or helps you make better decisions in, in building those internal links. That's pretty slick. That's pretty cool. So being the SEO guy, what would you recommend for the number? Is there an ideal number of internal links that we should have in an article? Does it depend on how long the article is? Should the anchor text, I'm, I guess I'm just spitballing my questions here. Does it, should the anchor text be around like the topic or I'll see a lot of times people will say related and then they'll have the title of the article. Is that a good strategy these days? Yeah. Comments on the, I'll let you respond to all those questions. Yeah. Yeah. No, great question. So number of internal links, you know, that you have in an article, there, there's no perfect number. But here's some some rules of thumb that I kind of think about is you want to really be building relevant internal links. So you don't want to overdo it. Let's say you just you have an article that you think is 
going to have tons of authority. And so you're like, I want to link to everything. So I pass on this link juice, you know, I'm going to build a hundred links. Don't do that. Just, just link. If you know, your paragraph is or sentence is talking about something that is relevant to something else on your site that could potentially be a good link. So stick to relevancy. Another thing that I typically do is probably no more than one or two internal links per like header tag. Right. So if you have your article broken out into you've got, say, three or four H2 tags to kind of break that out. Right. So maybe one or two internal links per section. And okay. so if you've got a thousand word article or a two thousand word article, five to ten internal links is probably kind of the number that maybe is what you're looking at. But again, that could totally vary de- depending on the type of article that you have. But that's some rules of thumb. You asked a little bit about anchor text. The ideal anchor text is, so let's, okay, so let's say you're writing article A and you want to link to article B, right? The ideal anchor text on article A, you know, a sentence in article A is a keyword that you're trying to rank article B for, right? So let's call it keyword B. You're trying to rank article B for the keyword, keyword B, If you mention keyword B in article A, that's the perfect anchor text to link to article B, right? Because you're telling Google, hey, there is, I have an article related to this keyword. By the way, you should rank that keyword for this anchor text, right? So so that's the perfect anchor text. I think maybe you had another sort of related question, but I'm not sure if I got to it. Yes. So my other question was, I'll see in blog posts where people will say, related article and they'll just put the link to the title of the article. Is that a good Uh, practice or uh, what are your thoughts on that? That's okay, but it would be better if they could make it a keyword rich anchor text, right? Instead of saying, yeah, you know, I've got a related article. You could say, read more about worm farms here and use the phrase worm farms to link to that other article. So a keyword rich anchor text is better for sure, uh-huh. but it's not a, it's not a bad practice. It's not going to penalize you. You'll still get a, a benefit from having that internal link, even without the keyword anchor text, but having the keyword anchor text is better because it tells Google, I want to rank for worm farms. Okay. So what are your recommendations for a podcast? Can we use SEO and some of these strategies for our podcast. So I do show notes for each of my podcast episodes, but they're not, you know, long form blog posts either, Mm -hmm. but I try and make them helpful with, you know, the relevant links that we mentioned in the show. But then I may also have done a few times where I'll, you know, list related episodes based on that topic that we talked about. Is that a good idea? Or do you have any kind of best practices for blog post show notes for SEO purposes? Or is that not a thing? Yeah, no, it that is a really tough topic. And I know exactly what you're talking about because I have a podcast and I know it can be really hard to, you know, record a conversation like we're doing and then try to rank for a keyword, right? With sort of those show notes. Like it just doesn't always work that way. And so I struggle with this as well. I will just say that somebody that does a pretty good job is Nick Loper over at Side Hustle Nation. He does a pretty good job many times of taking his interviews and then turning it into a much more in-depth blog post, right? That he does kind of find a keyword and he makes it work. He does. Yeah. He he, does a good job of that. 
So if anybody wants to look at what he's doing, he, he does pretty good. And so if you can do that, that that's ideal. If you can kind of, it's more work, right? But if you can find a keyword that is kind of related to this conversation that we're having and kind of beef it up with your own additional text, that's great. As far as like internal links though, something that I kind of do is I use my blog post show notes to kind of just pass additional authority to articles that I am trying to rank for. So even though my show notes, I know maybe are never going to rank well in Google, what little authority they do have. And sometimes they do get external links, right? Like some people do mention, Hey, Monica Louie was on this podcast and they link to it. Right. And Mm -hmm. so all of a sudden that show notes does have a little bit of link juice, if you will. And so you can then use internal links to pass that link juice to where you actually want it to go, right? So if you've written an article on Facebook ads, right? You use that and point it to your Facebook ads page. So that's that's kind of the best practice that I use anyways. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. And there's so much we could dive into, Spencer, but I want to be respectful <laughs> of your time. Before I let you go, I want to talk about Motion Invest and, and what you have going on there. You mentioned before we hit record that you're a partner in that company and you're building a team to run that business for you. And so I wanted you to, to talk a little bit about what you've got going on there. What is, you know, where, how did this come about and how are you structuring this business to sounds like you're more hands-off with this one? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So motion invest is a marketplace to buy and sell smaller niche websites. The reason, and my partner is John Gillum, then Kelly Van Boxmeer as well. So there's three of us that are partners there we sort of put our heads together and said, you know, there's some great places to buy and sell websites. There's Empire Flippers, Quiet Light Brokerage, FE International, but they tend to are are scaling bigger and bigger, right? So they aren't wanting to really look at the sites that are only making $500 a month, for example. The only place to do that is kind of Flippa. And Flippa historically has been a little bit of a wild, wild west that some of the listings are good and some of the listings are really bad, right? And and people can be a little bit dishonest in their listings. And so there's lots of horror stories of people buying duds on Flippa. You know, they thought they were buying a site that was making $2,000 a month. Turns out it was making $50 a month, right? Or whatever. And so that was the genesis of our ideas. We wanted to build a marketplace where we would pre-vet every single website. Our team would look at every single website, verify the income, verify the traffic, and verify that it's trending in the right direction, that it doesn't have PBNs, that it hasn't been penalized in Google, you know, all those things that maybe Flippa doesn't do. And so we we launched this. That was the idea. And with the idea being that this is for smaller sites, right? Sites that are maybe a max of making it three or four thousand dollars a month. But you know, some sites only making 50 or a hundred dollars a month. And so we would pre-vet all those sites, and that's what we did. We launched it and we found that people have have resonated well with the idea that they want a place that they can get a starter website, it's making money, and they've had a second set of eyes to verify that hey, this really is making this much money. And so that's what we're doing there. And we very quickly, all all three of us are the partners. We have other businesses going on and we knew that we couldn't dedicate our full amount of time and energy into this. And so from day one, we have hired people to basically run it for us. We've set up systems so that 
for example, you people can go to the website Motion Invest and they want to submit their site to sell it. Like it goes immediately into like a Trello process that creates a card that has a very streamlined process that our employees are running. So they go through, they verify the Google analytics, they collect all the income verification and they, they do everything. They communicate with potential buyers and sellers. And so as partners, we really just set up the framework, the processes and the procedures. We put uh, several employees in place and now they're running it all. And so I'm not involved in the day-to-day operations really at all of the business. I, you know, we still get on calls. I get on a call maybe a couple times a month and we talk strategy and, you know, any tweaks that we want to make to the overall business itself. And then I do mention the business, like in my email newsletter for niche pursuits and in my Facebook group. So I, I have a, a decent sized audience, right? And so I can mention it here and there and push a little business, but uh, now the word's kind of out there and it's growing and it's really cool to see that it's taking off kind of on its own as well. That's very cool. So then when there's a successful sale, is that when does Motion Invest like get a cut of that or is there a fee to submit your website? How does the yeah. Business model work, I guess. Yeah. So there, there are two revenue streams. One is we will actually make an offer on every single site that comes in. So Motion itself will will buy the website. So somebody will submit their site. We immediately will say, "Hey, we'll buy that for X dollars." Right. And in complete transparency, it's it's a little bit lower than they could probably get on an open market. Right. But we have a quick turnaround. We pay them within 48 hours. We close the deal. It's super easy process, fast and easy. They don't have to do anything. So some people take us up on that and then we kind of polish it up and create a really cool listing. And then we resell that site for you know full market value. Right. So that's how we make some of our money is that difference in multiple that we can get between buying quickly and then selling. And then in other cases, if people just want to sell on our marketplace, we charge a a commission to do that. Right. Anywhere from 10 to 20 percent, just kind of depending on a couple of things. So, yep, it's, it's free to list. But when it sells, we take that commission out of the sales price. That's very cool, because I know I know being in this in the online business space for a long time now, you know, a lot of people are wondering what could they sell their business for? How would they find a buyer? And so it definitely seems like that's solving a huge need because there's just still a lot of unknowns when it comes to selling your business and the best way to go about that. Yeah. And if people want to just see how much their business is worth, you know, over at uh, Motion Invest, we essentially have a place you can submit your site and get an estimated number for how much we would buy your site for directly and how much we think it would sell for on our marketplace. So people are welcome to do that. And if they're thinking about selling, can just kind of get those numbers and go, oh, you know, that looks interesting and decide, oh, I'm not going to do it or yeah, I'll go ahead and do it. So we're pretty transparent about that. Very cool. Okay. Well, last question before I let you go, I noticed you have a ton of books behind you. Yes. (laughs) What maybe your top three books that have helped you grow your businesses over the years? Oh man, I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm turning around now and looking at some of these books. I do like to read business books. Part of it's just motivation, right? Uh, and then some of it is, is tactics. Let's take a look here. And some of these might not be business books, but one that I really like is called Quiet by Susan Cain. 
pull it off my shelf because the subtitle's good. The power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. It's kind of, the subtitle explains it well, but it talks a lot about really successful people, including like Bill Gates and Warren Buffett, and talking about how they're extreme introverts and other people and how sometimes we try too hard to make introverts become the party animal and people that they're not. And maybe just understanding the difference between introverts and extroverts and how both bring very valuable things to the table, both in business and in life. And so that's one that I liked a lot. Man, I really like reading a lot of either autobiographies. So Grinding It Out by Ray Kroc. I've got The Right of a Lifetime by Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney. Call Me Ted, Ted Turner's autobiography. I really enjoy reading some of those that just explain some of the failures and successes that they've had in in their life as well. And then maybe one more I'll give here is Rocket Fuel. It's by Gina Wickman. It's a good business, especially if you're going to go into a partnership or looking to hire hire people. It talks about the differences between like a visionary and an implementer. Basically, you know, as entrepreneurs, and I'm, I'm one of these, I often have really good ideas, but then next week I have another really good idea, right? And sometimes I don't implement that idea from last week. And so hiring or partnering with an implementer, somebody that does a better job of sitting down and actually doing the nitty gritty details can be a great idea. And there's a lot of people that love doing the nitty gritty details. They, they flourish doing that. Right. And so if you can partner a visionary with a implementer, you can have that rocket fuel, right. That he's talking about. So anyways, there's a few books that, that I like and have enjoyed reading to help me in my business. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing all this with us. Where should people go to find you, follow you? Please mention your podcast as well. Where are all the places? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love it if people um, check me out at nichepursuits.com. That's my blog where I'm talking about everything I do. And of course, the podcast is there as well, nichepursuits.com slash podcast, or just find me anywhere there are podcasts. And then if people want to check out Link Whisper, they can go to linkwhisper.com. And I'd love to have them, you know, especially if they are looking to optimize their sites, try out Link Whisper and, and improve their internal linking. Very cool. All right. Thank you so much, Spencer. This has been such a joy talking with you. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. Absolutely. Thank you, Monica. It's been a pleasure. Gosh, I absolutely loved that interview with Spencer. I just want to give him a huge thank you once again for coming on the podcast and being so open with sharing his journey and his wisdom with us. He shared the highs, he shared the lows, but he was very open and transparent. So I so appreciate that. You can follow what he has going on over at nichepursuits.com and be sure to check out his podcast as well. We covered so many topics and ideas in this episode. I would love to hear your biggest takeaways And I want to know, do you have any interest in creating your own SaaS product? Let us know in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 109. And of course, you'll find all the links and resources that we mentioned in this episode in the show notes at monicalouie.com slash 109. And thank you so much for joining Spencer and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with high converting Facebook and Instagram ads, then check out my free Facebook ad starter kit. You can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through these six simple steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus there's a handy dandy checklist so you can make sure you've got everything you need before you dive into the ads manager. And if you're like me, then you love a good checklist. 
And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. We have information there about our services. Once again, we'll have all the links and resources that were mentioned in today's show in the show notes at monicalouie.com slash 109. If you found this helpful, please be sure to follow the show in your favorite podcast app so you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. We've got a ton of great episodes heading your way. That is all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish. Let's flourish.